Welcome back, Warriors. Tansei Sego Anibuju. Queen Ninda Luizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, our laws, and governing practices. But it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. Today, we are so lucky to have Ellen Gabriel join us again. Ellen is Gayankahaga from Gunasatage and someone I have looked up to my whole life. She has been a native rights activist here on Turtle Island for decades and has always fought to defend Haudenosaunee lands and territory, as well as their sovereignty and governing practices. She's been advocating on issues impacting Indigenous women and children and the health of our lands and waters for many years. She was the president of Quebec Native Women and president there for six years and has also won numerous awards for her advocacy and is considered an expert on Native issues especially at the international level. Welcome back to the Warrior Life podcast, Ellen. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really grateful that you've taken the time. I know you're being overwhelmed by the media right now on everything that's uh, impacting you in your territory. And I'm wondering first, before we get to that, if you can introduce yourself the way that you like to do it. Ellen Gabriel I'm Turtle Clan uh, from the community of Ganesadage, and I am uh, I am an artist as well. Uh, I, I did graduate in 1990 from Concordia University, and it's one of my my uh, passions. I work at the Ganesadage Language and Cultural Center, and uh, presently doing archival uh, footage um, for our community for our language and culture. Oh, and language is so important. And, and, you know, everything that you do is really towards maintaining all of our culture and identity. And, I, you know, I really appreciate everything that you do. And there's an issue that's happening in the media right now. And I'm worried that it's not getting the kind of attention that it deserves. So I'm wondering if you could tell us, you know, what's happening in your territory and maybe give us a bit of a chronology. Yeah, um, well, part of it, it stems uh, from, you know, these, these legal fallacies of the doctrine of discovery of a grant that the, the 14-year-old king of France, Louis XIV, uh, the 14th, gave to the seminary of Saint-Sulpice, who were uh, rich men. They didn't take an oath to poverty and uh, in 1721. So since that time, we've been fighting to protect our lands and to keep, you know, what, what pre preserve for our people the use of that land. And so 300 years later, what we're seeing is the same, same issues of the settlers thinking we don't have any rights, um, that uh, essentially this attitude that we're conquered and that uh, we should accept the, the crumbs that are thrown our way. So we've been fighting for 300 years, multiple generations. And in 1990, we blocked a secondary dirt road. We never blocked the highway. It was a peaceful barricade. We didn't, we didn't threaten anybody. We just tried to educate people. And because there was so much uh, powerful people behind this development, including Pauline Marois, the former premier of Quebec, and her husband were going to build hotels here, the golf course, uh, condominium development. And uh, they were going to dig up uh, my family. My parents are buried in the, in the cemetery, my grandparents and, and uh, all our relatives in Ganesadage. They were going to dig them up so they could extend their parking lot. Uh, for the golf course. So people decided this is this is enough now. We've we've had it. 
Um, and on July 11th at 5.15 in the morning, uh, a, a paramilitary squad made up of Sûreté du Québec, the Canadian Army, and the Montreal Urban Police Force uh, arrived. Uh, 13 women went to the front unarmed uh, to address them. Uh, and, and the reason why the women are forgotten is because the media wasn't there to take pictures of us standing uh, some in their bare feet because they just woke up, right? And we're doing tobacco burning. Uh, and it was agreed the women would go to the front. So we're standing there and, and we get bombarded with these tear gas canisters that blow back onto the Sertes Quebec. They throw, they throw one that actually we have to move. So three times we went to the front and these guys were just shaking. They're, they have their weapons pointed at our heads and our hearts. Uh, we just like tried to calmly deal with them. And, and basically we, the women's message was, you can take down the barricade. It's just going to go back up, go ahead. But they wanted us to leave. And we said, no, it's our land. We're not leaving. This is not your, your jurisdiction. So um, that started, that sparked uh, uh, a 78-day siege occupation uh, of probably the majority of the Cités Quebec, RCMP, and Canadian Army uh, in, a, in a little community like uh, Ganesadaga. And our sister community, Ganawagan, walked the Mercier Bridge. And I, I'm forever grateful to them because they saved our lives, essentially, by blocking the bridge. But um, so today we're still fighting the, the same fight because Canada um, upholds you know, the, the band councils that they created, a, a colonial structure that they created for their benefit, not for our benefit. And the traditional governments that have survived colonization They've been they've been voiceless. They've they've we've been powerless to do anything, and we're the ones who are the criminals. Whereas Canada, with their rule of law, you know their claim of upholding the rule of law, who are not holding up the rule of law, are uh, are are founding. Are they're basing their arguments of shutting us out and silencing us uh, on these you know the in, institutionalized racism and discrimination, because it's the women in Haudenosaunee laws that hold title to the land. And they've disrespected the women since the beginning of the Indian Act. So it's related to all those, those tiny strings, that tentacles of colonization and, and imperialism. And people talk about authoritarian states. We see so many being developed even to the south of Canada's border. Um, but that's the kind of state that we've been under, these authoritarian uh, uh, ministers. And, and we're powerless unless we do an action like we did in 1990. I had always, I know we've talked about this before, but I had always misunderstood that the siege was resolved in the end. There was a negotiation. They said, don't worry, we're going to give your land back. And everything was resolved. Yeah. Clearly, that's not the case. No, it wasn't. It was just a, a, a band-aid. The, the place, the area of the pines that they were going to cut for the condominiums and the golf course, yeah, that, that was stopped. Uh, they put it for our benefit and use, right? So they, they still say that it's Canada's. Uh, they bought the cemetery for a dollar from the municipality of Oka. And the, the other area of the pines, which uh, the Minister of Indian Affairs for Quebec at the time, John Chacha said, you need to also purchase that land, which is where the developer, Grégoire Galin, is now presently claiming is his and will develop more. That should have been bought in 1990. And then there was an S S24, which is the Gunnestagger Interim Land Base, which gives more power to the municipality of Oka over our lands. And it was passed by 
less than one quarter of the, the members passed by two votes in spite of the Longhouse saying, we disagree with this. So we're dealing with an act of parliament uh, imposing uh, and you know, dispossessing us uh, of, our, of our lands. And, and so it's complex, it's layer upon layer of dysfunction. So Ellen, um, tell me if I'm understanding this right, that you know, even though Canada has imposed the Indian Act and the chief and council ban system on you know, native peoples all across the country, many groups still have their traditional form of governance that continue. So like the Wet'suwet'en, they have their hereditary chiefs and the Haudenosaunee and Mi'kmaq have their traditional ones going. And I always understood that in different areas, there's been kind of an informal agreement that there's a, a shared jurisdiction, like the chief and councils, they can do what they need to do for the, you know, band funding and programs and services and that kind of thing. But jurisdiction over things like land and decisions around land remain with the traditional government. Is that, is that still the case? <laughs> I wish that was the case. I wish that was the case. There's been, uh, you know, the, the, the late um, Walter David, who was secretary for the Longhouse here in Gunnisodaga for decades, wrote so many letters to say that, you know, essentially band councils are service providers. Mm -hmm. They're not a government because they work for the, it's another department of Indian affairs, right? And that the land should, should remain under the authority and jurisdiction of the Haudenosaunee, the traditional government. And this is the stance that in the position that we were still taking. And what, what's, what has ended up happening here in Ganeshadage and uh, I know in some of the other Mohawk communities is that, um, the, the band councillors, I'll call them mayors, they're just a mayor, essentially, they personalize it and they discredit us. And they, and they, and so the media picks up on this, this, this division, which is created by Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and they, and they focus on that rather than on who the real criminal is and who, who the real culprit of this dysfunctional uh, conflict that we're seeing happening, uh, which is Canada, Quebec, and the municipality of Oka, all, uh, embracing and tethered to this institutionalized racism that uh, that benefits them and criminalizes those of us who are standing up and protecting our sovereignty and our homelands. Well, yeah, because it's a core part of our sovereignty, our land, and we have so little of it left, yes. you know, and it's so important that we pr protect all our territories. Now, it there's a specific issue that has arisen, arisen in relation to archaeological digs and a fraudulent sale of land. Can you talk a little bit more about that so people know what the issues are? Yeah, I mean, part of the thing that, that baffles me is that we're in a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of services in the community are still closed. Um, and we see that for the municipality of Oka and, and our surrounding municipalities, it's business as usual. We're going to start building there. And in spite of uh, letters being said, you know, you cannot do this. You do not have the right to do this. And so what the municipality of Oka is doing without consulting the community of Ganesadaga is they want to build a new community center because the old one is, I don't know, 80 years old or something. Um, but uh, so in order to do that, it's, it's Quebec law that they take a soil sample. And if the soil sample says that we need to do an archaeological dig, they will do that. And they already gave permission 
even before, you know, the mayor announced he was going to do an archaeological dig before he even, have a, he even had a permit to do that. And so we contested that. And um, we, we went to a meeting organized by the Minister of uh, Secretariat des Affaires Autochtones, which is Minister of Indian Affairs in Quebec. Mark Miller was on the phone, Ms. Palivoca with their lawyer, the Mohawk Council, uh, and a few other bureaucrats uh, from Quebec to, and we read a letter saying we adamantly oppose any archaeological digs, any new buildings to be constructed by the municipality of Oka. We are the ones that have the inherent right. The Mohawk Council of Ganestaga does not have any right to negotiate online. And, you know, the at this meeting, um, the mayor spoke and, and, you know, they ignored the three of us that were sitting there from the Longhouse. The mayor of Ganesadage, uh, Serge Simon, spoke and he said, oh, I have no problem with this. You know, it's, it's, I have such cherished memories of the parish hall. It's too bad it's going to be torn down. Uh, and I agreed to this. And it's like he hasn't consulted the community. So we left and... and um, we read our statement and I, and I think that they just did, they thought we're going to sit there and they can tick the box that they consulted us and, and we just left. We read our thing and left. And afterwards we were told that, you know, that, you know the mayor of Ganestag put us down. And, and this, is, this is the thing people don't understand. It's not a personal issue. It's not about me. It's not about him. It's about the land theft, which continues, and of which we have no recourse and which we, we've been denied uh, a remedy to this 300-year-old conflict. And Canada cannot do that. And, and, and this is why it's like, I, I find it so hypocritical when they criticize other countries who are human rights abusers, when deep down, uh, behind closed doors, this is what they do to Indigenous people. And then what the public sees is us blockading, us protesting, and saying, okay, what do they want now? The same thing that we've been asking for all along is respect for our sovereignty. And, and our lands, to have access to our lands without being ushered out by security guards, police, or uh, being attacked by racists like the Maravoka. Well, and it seems like they have the exact same playbook every time that they do it. And if anyone puts up a fuss, they go straight to chief and council to try to work out some kind of deal. And then if the traditional governments or the people um, clan members, house members, village members, however people are organized, say anything about it, then it tend, just like what you said, people are vilified. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, don't listen to him because he had a criminal record at some point in time, or don't listen to her because, you know, who is she? And don't listen to that person. And then it, it has the negative effect of um, pitting us against each other too, because yeah. then it's, well, who's speaking for who and, and who is the most credible and who's the one that the media is not going to pick on or the one picked by chief and council. And it mm -hmm. makes a big mess for the general public who doesn't even understand the core issues that the core issues here is land theft mm -hmm. and it, that the same issue has never been addressed. And that's why we keep having these conflicts. I, I, I wonder sometimes if they just keep hoping Let's try and steal the land today. Oh, if it doesn't work today, we'll just give them 10 years, work, have them work on projects, and we'll try again another time, and in another way, and in another way. It's like they never stop trying to take every last acre yeah. that we have. Yeah, and they won't be happy until they get every square inch of, of, of our land and control every aspect of our lives. You know, 
people talk about colonization if it's as if it's in the past, but it's ongoing. It's never stopped. I mean, we had an Indian residential school apology that was court ordered, by the way. It didn't come from the generosity of Stephen Hart. Yeah. It was court ordered. And we're still, you know, we have numerous reports that talk about what mm. the, the peaceful resolutions could be to, to all this historical trauma we've experienced. And they just ignore it because basically Canada is, or is controlled by bureaucrats who advise ministers. And it's, or I think it's a very corrupt system because if you look at the resource development companies, those corporations, they're foreign investments. And here, we not only have land that they want for tourism, but niobium, uranium. Uh, we we have uh, you know a, a tomb. I think there's two million people that come through this area because it's a nice little tourism area. Um, and they just continue to to ignore. I you know it's like we still get people say, I didn't know there were Mohawks here. Like when we were protesting three years ago, some, a young couple came up to us with their little little uh, boy and they said, we didn't know this was Mohawk land. Well, now you do. So, yeah. so caveat emptor, right? Yeah, and, and how would they know? How would they know? You know what I mean? Because Canada will do everything to make it look like it's in this uh, reconciliation stage, I guess, where we're all getting along well, but all of the core issues are not addressed like land, for example. And what gets me is, you know, Canada was stung because it lost its seat at the UN Security Council, which of course we were advocating for, because how could you put someone at the UN Security Council that's about peace and human rights for the whole world, when in fact Canada has been found guilty of genocide. And although, you know, lots of people focused on different aspects of the National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing uh, indigenous women and girls, a core aspect of that genocide is the theft of lands, the mm -hmm. failure to implement treaties, the failure to resolve uh, any of these issues. And it's the literally the root cause of poverty and no program and service can ever replace the theft of all those lands and all the waters and all the resources and all the spirituality and identity that goes with that while at the same time, criminalizing us for doing anything in relation to our lands, occupying it, protecting it, cultivating it, you know, using resources for it, hunting and fishing, I mean, have literally been criminalized. And it amazes me that, you know, we still have people on the front lines, like just refusing, like you and people in the longhouse, just refusing despite what other people are saying, despite the monolithic power of, you know, these capitalist corporations that just have endless amounts of money to fight against you in the media, and you're still there defending your lands peacefully at every single occasion, because that's how much it matters to our survival. Yeah, I, I you know, when people ask me why I still do it, one of the things is under our constitution, we are obliged we are legally obliged under our indigenous laws to continue to protect our land. And, and the other thing is, I don't want 1990 to have happened for nothing. And that's, to me, it, it just makes so much sorrow in my heart to, to see that we've lost more land, to see the divisions in our people who are distracted by money, they're distracted by, you know, power in the band council, when it's really, I, I want to do justice to the struggle and the fight 
and the pain my ancestors endured because of these ra these racist acts uh, coming from the church and the government. You know, there was the, there were the British, the French, uh, and now and and their and their servants, Canada, um, who have denied us uh, access and rights to our land. We fought in their wars um, because we were forced to. You know, when they came to Ganesadaga for the War of 1812, they said, if you do not send your young men and men to fight in this war, we will jail them. And so we had, we had men as young as 14 going to the War of 1812. And there were women who fought in those wars. And I think for the 30th anniversary, I want people to remember that women are warriors. We do not necessarily have to carry a weapon. In fact, in fact the police and army were more afraid of the women because we did not carry weapons and we were in their face and they didn't know what to do with us. Um, I think a lot of indigenous women will agree. It's like when you have your family threatened, you will go in their face, mm -hmm. regardless if they carry a weapon. And we had as witnesses, international human rights uh, experts, we had media, um, but it was all for, for, for what, you know? And, and Alanisa's film, which I think is a, is a good beginning, uh, really took away from the story of the land. It took away the role and the authority that the women played. It was just the tip of the iceberg of what actually happened in 1990. And I, I, I would really like, I'm, I'm working on a project right now to tell the story of 1990 and how it's related to the land and, and climate change, because this is, this is our mother, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. talking about, we don't, we don't necessarily, we're not separate from, from nature. We're part of it. And to, to bring that together. And that's another thing that, that makes me want to keep going because I feel so terrible for those who are babies, for those children, for those youth and what, kind of legacy we are leaving behind and so I want to give it my all I want to give it my all to say I want to give them a fighting chance I don't know when change is going to come and justice is going to come for Oklahoma people um, but we got to keep on trying and and I, I I think that if we stop we fail them and and they have every right to write us down in history as giving up and, and I don't I wouldn't want that because our, our ancestors fought really hard to, for, for us to have what we do have today. Well, and I think it's really good that you're working on it because I think more people need to see the strong role of women. You know, that our history doesn't start with men at chief and council. That, yeah. you know, our history is very powerful and that doesn't prioritize one over the other. But, you know, our stories have really been left out of this and just the power that we have inherently as women. And I think the other thing that you said, you know, um, is, is something else that people need to understand about this defense of our lands and our sovereignty is a matter of law. Like it, we have an obligation to do it. It's not a volunteer thing. It's not a charity, a goodwill or a part-time job or a nine to five thing that, you know, as, as an indigenous person, whatever nation you belong to, it's in part of like all of our laws. We're, we're required to do this. To not do this would actually make us criminals in our own law, uh, not criminals in the sense of criminal law, but not living up to our obligations. And so it's something, 
it's a good thing, but it gets portrayed sometimes in the media and from others as if like it's a troublemaking thing that we're just trying to make conflict or that it's a bad thing. But it, in fact, none of us have to be divided on this. Whether someone's in chief and council, lives on or off reserve, is in the longhouse or the Mi'kmaq nation or not, it's, it's just about abiding by the laws. The, it's Canada and the provinces and, and the municipalities that manufacture all of the division. But yeah. ultimately, I mean, who doesn't want to protect their lands? Well, one of the things I've, I've learned over the three decades, and um, I had to go through a lot of healing afterwards because I was suffering from post-traumatic stress and it occasionally pops up. Um, my cousin, who's a professor at McGill University, Wanda Gabriel, um, talked about what colonization has done, which is, don't talk, right? Stay mm -hmm. silent. Don't feel and don't trust. And this is, this is the dynamics that we're seeing in our communities. And it's, it's how do we overcome that is by recognizing that it's there, by acknowledging what, what history has brought us, like where we have come from is, is where we are today, is why we, we are today. But what is our vision for the future? Mm -hmm. and, and if we look we seem powerless. I know a lot of young people, and I and I was in the same boat afterwards. I, I thought, why did why didn't my ancestors think like to why do I have to why did I have to do endure this? Why did our people have to go through? Didn't our ancestors try and put things together? And I look, once I really learned my history, I saw they couldn't. They they were, you know, they were impoverished. They weren't allowed to hunt. They were eating muskrat and squirrel. And, and, and little birds, because they weren't allowed to leave their community, they could fish. Uh, if they went to the village of Oka, which is our traditional uh, community in Ganasadage, that's Oka is Ganasadage, they were denied services. And, and so when I, when I look at that, it's not their fault. It wasn't for lack of trying, because they did try. It's just that this machine, this imperialistic machine is so huge. And it's so rich with human resources to pay people to be brutal, to brutalize our people, that the oppression is just like, well, I'm just going to take care of my family then. And, and I see that. And it's normal. You just want to take care of your family and say, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, and, and speak no evil. And I think today, uh, with, with things like what you're doing, we have that voice. Uh, whether Canada wants to acknowledge or respect it or not, we have that voice. And, and I hope internationally that all Indigenous people see that, that we now have voices that were silenced before and our ancestors did try. And we, ha we are still trying. And that the young people, uh, like myself at that time, the young people need to find a mentor Mm -hmm. help guide them through this because it's so multi-layered and so confusing at times you can get lost in it. Well, it, our situation is trying to defend our, our lands and sovereignty in the context of ongoing genocide. So yeah. not, even, not even the monumental task of trying to deal with the trauma, the multiple layers and multiple generations of, of, of trauma and systems that have been set up that are on our own. But how do you be a land defender if Child and Family Services just apprehended your children and is saying, we're not giving your children back unless you become sterilized. And so you're like, you're facing these like incredible acts of violence and genocide. 
and to, to be able to turn your mind to the other things that are also happening, which is also incarceration, which is, you know, also poverty, which is also land theft and homelessness and violence and all of these other things. They, they have made it very difficult for us, yet we're still on the front lines and we're, we're still doing it and we shouldn't have to be. And similarly, we shouldn't have to be the ones to educate all Canadians about what continues to happen when most Canadians, and with due respect, um, most Canadians have the, the power, the influence, the education, the wealth, the access to internet, Google. I mean, you can literally Google anything now and find out more information. So it's, it's, it's quite a task, but nevertheless, we just have to do it. Our ancestors did what they could under genocide, genocide changes but continues and and that's what we're doing and and i'm so glad that there are people like you who will take the risk the risk of vilification the risk of criminalization the risk of all the social ostracization that comes with speaking out or um you know speaking out at a time when maybe 20 years from now they'll say oh yeah thank goodness that was done back then or where would we be now it's not a it's it, the kind of work and effort that gets put in is not immediately acknowledged or even has immediate impacts. I mean, this whole land defense, it can be a hundred years before things are resolved. It can be longer before things are resolved. So thank goodness that you and people in the longhouse are out there doing it. And that through your culture and language work, you're also passing it down to younger generations. So it doesn't stop with you. Mm. Well, hopefully it won't stop with us. I, I um, you know, tw 20 years from now, I hope we're still speaking our language. Um, Ganestag is the oldest existing community. It, it, it existed pre-European arrival uh, and is the first community to accept uh, the great law of peace. Um, so we have a really rich history just here alone in Ganesadage. And my, my director, Ganarat uh, Tahawi, Hilda Nicholas, when the Indian Residential School apology came through, and, and she's, she's like the expert on, on Ganyakaha, the expert. Uh, she said, you know, it took over 100 years for them to destroy our language. Maybe it's going to take another 100 years before we get it back. And, and it, it has, you know, she and other first language speakers got together and there's they came up with over 275 words that has just to do with the mind, a description of the mind. And so imagine, this, this is not newly developed words. These are words that came way back before Europeans arrived. And the intelligence of our ancestors, you know, we're, we're not the, 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 the simple-minded pagans that, that Jacques Cartier and Champlain thought they were meeting, and they knew that. Um, and, and when they came to Jokjak in Montreal, that, you know, there was a chief that told Champlain and, and Cartier, you don't have a right to put that cross there. This is Haudenosaunee land. So it, we have such a rich history and there's so much to know. And it can take you a lifetime before you, you hear all those stories. And I think that's, that's what I want to talk about. And, and what you're, you're doing for me, you're doing me a really great favor, Pam. And I appreciate that. It's helping me tell part of that story. So future generations or, or the youth right now will, will be able to hear, you know, it is a tough road, 
but you got to use those richness of our culture to keep you going strong. Because if you don't have that, you're going to get lost in the quagmire of colonization. Yeah, okay. it's, yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I do this because I want to amplify the voices of all the people that I've been following, the people that have helped me, you know, sometimes they might not be in, in your immediate area. There's lots of our youth who now are separated from their communities through 60s scoop and child welfare or uh, lots of different reasons. And they might not be in a circumstance where they have people that they can reach out and touch and talk to, but there's, because of the advent of social media, we can reach each other in other ways. And not just in writing. Writing's good too, but I, I think you learn a lot hearing from people, like their actual voices and, mm -hmm. you know, their feeling and their energy from it. So that's, that's what I like about this podcast uh, in terms of hearing from people. Now, you know, if, if we can get back to this issue just for a minute because i want to understand so they you know they they're talking about this soil sample they want to do this dig you've contested it you've written letters you know you oppose it uh because it's your territory so where does it stand right now have they started the digging process or is it imminent it's imminent it's just a matter of time and um you know that the mayor of, of Afghanistan and Oka are not really divulging too much. We're trying to find out when this is going to happen um, because Quebec doesn't care, you know, Canada doesn't care. Uh, we're hoping that if they do try and dig, that there'll be, there'll be protests against mm -hmm. it. The offer was, well, we'll dig and you can have some, some people from your community to stand there and watch them. And then we'll hold the artifacts for you, which is such BS because they've done it so many times in Oka Park. Oka Park even has some of our pottery in there and they're, they're holding it in Quebec City. So we don't really, we just get to look at it. That's all we get to do. We don't get to house it. And, um, you know, the attitude, I, sh I should add that there's this mythological St. Lawrence Iroquois that were, was created. I, I can't remember the archaeologist's name, but we are the people that they're talking about. We have always been here. And so their, their attitude towards us is that, well, you're not really from here. Uh, and, and it's like, this is the, the whole thing. Archaeology is not really a science, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like psychology or psych psychiatry eventually became something a little bit more valid. But this is this is all guesswork and they can carbon date stuff but they can't talk about the people and this is the reason why that we've been pushing and saying no those are those belong to us that mm -hmm. is our heritage not yours um so that fight is is it's just so hurtful it just feels like it's they're stabbing us in the heart when they're when they're doing this because not far from where they want to do this archaeological dig uh, our oral history tells us there was burial grounds and there's two hotels sitting there. They used to be bars and, and, and they have found bones there and they've taken those bones elsewhere or they've, they've cemented over them. And those at the beginning, they burnt down twice. They burnt down twice. These, these hotels long ago before, you know, my, my grandparents time, but this is an area that, that is really sensitive. Mm -hmm. And right now it's like, if you don't disturb it, we're fine. Um, but how do you deal with racist arrogance? How do you deal with, you know, the KKK being, you know, clandestinely involved in all this? How do you deal with, 
Chinese corporations or Italian corporations coming in and saying, oh, this is so, it's beautiful land here, close to the water, there's a beach, there's so much richness in the land, or agricultural. For, for us, it's kind of like, people don't know what to do. So there's pot shacks and marijuana shacks and I don't know how much longer they'll be there because I, I'm sure, uh, you know, the government has, is trying to figure out a way to, to make money off of it and, and uh, threaten the people. So we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. Yeah, you, you can't be anything. As a Native person, you're not allowed to make any kind of money or take care of yourself because then you're some kind of elitist and you don't care about your people. And if, and if you're poor, then you don't, you're not working hard enough. It's all your fault. Pull up your socks. You, there, there's just nowhere for us to be. They've literally criminalized every direction that we can turn in, even things like tobacco, which for them, how ironic that they try to regulate and control and criminalize something that they didn't even know about prior to coming to, you know, Haudenosaunee territory or the other territories. And so when people try to eke out a living, well, now, you know, that's also criminal and we're losing our taxes. And it's just like ongoing colonization is so bitterly ironic, but it's all reinforced. It's like, the, it's like they're chaos junkies, right? They will never be happy. Um, they're happier if we're impoverished. They're happy that all the colonial rooted problems that we have remain in our communities and they don't see pro we don't see progress on it because Health Canada is the one that controls the money. So this year it's what, COVID-19, mm -hmm. that's, that's the theme, right? Next year it could be uh, uh, knee injuries, who knows? Yeah. You know, something, something that inane, rather than looking at, these are the colonial rooted problems. There are mental health issues because of that. This is, this is why people are unable to work. Or there's people who are standing up for the land, but they gotta work. So they're not working on language and culture. Um, you know, there's development happening and then they start at seven o'clock in the morning and people are saying, well, I gotta go to work afterwards. So it, it's, it's just like, but, but there was a peaceful resolution that government could, if they had goodwill and good faith to sit exactly. at a table and talk to us and, and let's get together and let's try and resolve this, they don't want to do. They'd rather force us into their courts that narrowly define what our inheritance mm -hmm. are. And then we're supposed to be happy with that precedent that's been set. And, you know, like, where else in the world, besides the Americas, are Indigenous people forced into this kind of little box of always constantly having to defend and define what our rights are? Even if... Yeah, even if you do win it. So even if someone does win, uh, you know, the, the, a court case win, and I say that loosely because there's always a whole bunch of problems with that court system and their decisions, but even when there's a major pronouncement, yes, we recognize this right, well, then the next group is going to have to prove it. And yeah. then the next group is going to have to prove it, and the next one. And then you're back to the original group who has to go to court to prove it again, but in a little different way, and then prove it again. I mean, we see that in BC with the same groups going to the, you know, Supreme Court of Canada over and over and over again. So there's really no intention, which is why people like you and so many others also take this battle to the international level mm -hmm. to get support, to bring knowledge, to bring awareness. And ultimately over time, these things, you know, they, they have a significant impact. Um, but it's the fact that you're going to you're going to have to battle here and then 
you know, who knows, next year it might be another place that they want to develop and not tell you. And what really gets me is that despite Section 35 of the Constitution, despite this commitment to reconciliation and, you know, all the words they use, you still don't know all the information. You don't know when they're digging. You don't know exactly how. You don't know who will be there. Like, it's, it's a secret. It is the exact opposite of what even the basic minimum consultation should be. Exactly. Canada has always played on the, the semantics of the Constitution Act, which is recognized rights. Mm -hmm. So in their eyes, the, 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 the recognized rights from their eyes, not the inherent rights, although inherent is in there and we can use that. Um, and this, and just as the resistance for the implementation of the UN Declaration as, a, as, a, as the beginning of a framework to work from a legal framework. And so, you know, when, when I speak to the Wet'suwet'en people, you, you hear the same frustration in their voices, but the same hope as we, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, we did a, a great Cancel Canada Day thing on July 1st and uh, Molly um, Wickham spoke. And I could say like I could hear things that I recognize I probably was saying when I was 31 and during the crisis and, and still believe, you know, I still believe the same thing, uh, even at the age of 61. It's just not going to go away. Um, and, I, and I ask people like, we have a petition right now um, I put on my, my Facebook timeline uh, to stop the archaeological digs and to get the government to sit down with us. We do have um, a legal defense fund, which we started a few years ago, which, uh, which a non-governmental organization is holding on our behalf. We can't find the lawyers to take us on. We cannot find any lawyers because they're all in some form associated with a band council. And so it's a conflict of interest. So this is why the mayor of Oak is just going like, you know, thumbing his, his, his nose at us is that we, we cannot find the legal representation either. So we're going to go by our own laws. This is our Oklahoma laws. They precede Canada. They precede Britain and France. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we're using. And if, if you don't like it, then you, you will be met by our people, by our warriors. And I, ju I just find that we should not have to go to their court system. Um, they need to come to ours. Yeah. And we, we need to bring them to ours. And we'll and we'll deal with them as as uh, as a, in a just way, more fairer than what they how they've dealt with us. That's for sure. And you know, our lands would be respected, the waters would be respected, our peoples would be respected, and it would literally benefit all Canadians. And that's the thing, you know, uh, like our laws would benefit everybody. We wouldn't be in this impending climate disaster mm. that's focused on unending economic growth. I mean anyone who does math knows there's no infinitesimal way that something can just grow. There has to be some level of balance and sustainability. And if you look at many of our laws, and I know they're all different, we, we talk about balances and sustainability and, and how things can just be survivable. It doesn't have to be you know, the first trillionaire in the world and the second trillionaire in the world yeah. and just endless growth. I mean, that, that I don't understand how that concept doesn't baffle most people. How could there be endless growth? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an unfettered, um, unsustainable uh, free market economy, right? And for us, and, and you've probably heard this one, is the one dish, one spoon. You know, you take what you need to sustain yourself. 
And this is not what's happening. This is not what Western society believes in. It's, it's this blindness. It's this, this failure to have a vision for the future of what you're leaving behind for your children and say, okay, what do you need to, to survive? What do you need to have a good quality of life? Mm-hmm. And, and, and instead it's like, well, you're poor, so you don't matter. You're indigenous, so you don't matter. You're black. So you don't matter. You're Latino, so you don't matter. It's just this white privilege, which, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people who are white who say, yeah, I acknowledge this. And I think that's, that's part of that solution is people acknowledging what has been done, the genocidal history that has been done to people, you know, when we see Black Lives Matter. And the, the discussion that needs to take place is long overdue. We should we should do a town hall. Yeah, we should, we should bring in black leaders and bring in you know yeah. people from different colors to come in and talk, and and for and white people to to talk about. We hear them, you know. I'm I'm on I'm a settler living on such such and such territory. Um, to me, that's that's an openness. That's a beginning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, long overdue, and it's. And it's not like any of these are even new ideas. How long have we been saying this? I mean, even Canada. I mean, we say we push for it and they're like, oh, yes, our first priority is going to be a review of all of our laws to make sure it's consistent with your Aboriginal treaty rights. Does that ever happen? (laughs) No, of course not. I mean, and even the agreements they make with these big national Aboriginal organizations that claim to speak on all our behalfs, you know, you're. It's funneling money to political organizations that ultimately and sadly just promote government objectives, which, you know, keeps their organizations safe. But on the ground, where's the assistance? Like, where's the intervention here? And and there won't be. And, And that's, I think we, our organizations have changed from how they first started out, which was on the ground with us, which was pure advocacy just calling out and holding governments to account and pushing pushing no matter the consequences to being the organizations that to canadians uh put the stamp on everything that the government is doing you know don't worry about kids in care don't worry we now have an mou with afn and everything's going to be solved well for canadians who don't know the afn has had an mou with the rcmp for years what has that done the killing of black and indigenous people certainly hasn't stopped. So I think, I think the wave of the future is really going to be turning Canadians and government's minds to all of these individuals who have long been advocating and continue to advocate and who do so effectively because we do, we do win. I mean, you know, just since the pandemic, although we've had like the Alberta minister of the environment saying, Hey, what a great time to build pipelines because no one can go out and protest. Well, look at all the pipelines that have been, you know, shut down or removed. I mean, you've got the Atlantic coast pipeline, you've got Keystone that that the court just overturned those permits. Mm -hmm. You've got insurance companies pulling out of trans, uh, trans mountain pipeline. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got, Um, a court ordering that all the oil has to come out of Dakota Access Pipeline. So even though people might think that the work that we do, it doesn't have any impact, it always has impact. It always makes a difference, even if you don't see it that month or even that year, that eventually with enough people, enough of us together, Indigenous and Mm -hmm. non-Indigenous, 
we can bring order back for everybody's benefit. And, and, you know, I just think it's so important that we recognize that it's probably not going to be political organizations that get it done. Yeah. You know, that it is going to be individuals and we need to support these individuals and, and not allow them to be vilified. Um, because if anyone vilifies you, boy, they're going to have to talk to me. <laughs> I can do a lot of talking. for you than to talk to. <laughs> but it's okay. true. I mean, we're, we're talking about all of, it's just like the improvements for today. Well, I won't say improvements. Any changes to the Indian Act have been from Indigenous women because yeah. they care about their families, right? All the movements that have made, whether it's 1990, Elsie Pugtug, uh, um, uh, what's his name? The killing of Dudley George, where um, Ipper Wash, Ipper Wash, Gustafson Lake. These are all grassroots people who are saying, you know what, you organizations, because government coerces you into obeying mm-hmm. them, we're going to stand up. We don't hear our voices being reflected in the decisions that you're making, so we're standing up. And they ride on our coattails. Yeah, they have been riding on our coattails since 1990. And it's time that they, they let us lead because we're the ones who are out there on the front lines, not them. They're the armchair warriors that, you know, Buffy St. Marie sings about. And <laughs> we're, 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 we're asking them to join us on the front lines mm-hmm. without titles. As, as a citizen of your nation, as, you know, Kanyakahaga people, Sony people, Mi'kmaq people, Wet'suwet'en people, you have an obligation under your indigenous laws to be out there on the front lines and take that hat off that the colonizers put on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine, I mean, imagine if we had the organizations of old together with the grassroots warriors today, mm-hmm. there, there would be no, there would just be no contest. I mean, we could, we could change everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, just the force of us together has the power to change it all for everyone's benefit. And, you know, I, I, I believe that someday that's going to happen. But in the meantime, before we let you go, it's important that uh, people know ways that they can help you. So you have written letters and you've told the, you know, all levels of government that you're opposed to this dig. You don't want them to issue a permit. Um, is there anything else that you specifically said? Did you also like, re- you know, request a meeting to resolve this? Are there any kind of like asks or demands that we, you want us to help promote? Yeah, we, we want the government to respect our, our rights and to include the traditional government, the Haudenosaunee. Uh, in in Ganyakgeha, we see we say, Rudinu Seshaga, the people of the Longhouse, as promised in 1990 by the federal negotiator Bernard Waugh. So if they can bombard Carolyn Bennett, Justin Trudeau, Mark Miller with this, and, and you can take from our letter uh, that we've put on for the archeological digs, and you can add to it. Um, I think that that would show the government that there, there are people out there who are listening to us and that they recognize uh, the injustices that, that our people have endured. Um, uh, I want to see, uh, I'd like to see a town hall where we're discussing all these issues and a, a really big one. And, you know, we need to have those people like Mark Miller and Carolyn Bennett. Um, and I guess essentially d- discussing or facing off against the people, the grassroots people and answering our questions. And, and, and we're going to, we're going to give them the info. 
we need to have Canadians hear the colonial historical truth of why we are criminalized and why there's so many injustices against Indigenous peoples. It's not something that we enjoy. You know, as an artist, I would have loved to have all these 30 years had had a school, gone, you know, explored the different sort of uh, mediums to to enhance my creativity. But I, I mean, I still do it. I'm still an artist. But this is a passion that I think is 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 a threat to the enjoyment of my human rights. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times I've heard from media commentators, oh, you wouldn't even have a job if you didn't he have something to protest against. And I'm thinking, gosh, imagine a world where we didn't have to defend our lands and waters and rights. And I could just focus on what I want to do, which is nation building, which is, you know, strengthening governments and relationships with the people and, you know, creating our um, legal systems and economies and, you know, uh, warrior schools where we get to educate people in our own languages and cultures. Like, boy, I would have a thousand times more really happy things to do <laughs> if they weren't forcing us into these situations of conflict all the time. Yeah. And, and um, you know, to be included in those discussions is a very minimal thing that <sighs> the government can do. You know, it, they, they're legally obliged to, to do consultations with free prior and informed consent. Um, and, and this, I, I think, you know, we're developing a different kind of culture as Indigenous people in, in the year 2020, um, dealing with a pandemic and then dealing with all the other things that are coming out. And I, I really wish, I hope this movement is like, you know, we're surfing on this huge wave and it's mm. splash down uh, sometime soon. It will. It will because of people like you and people that look up to you and follow you and, and others in the Longhouse and in the Wet'suwet'en peoples and Mi'kmaq peoples. It will because we have people doing it. And that's kind of like the connection to our ancestors and then a connection to our future generations going forward. So that's hope. And in terms of things I can leave people with, um, mm -hmm. we can post a link to the letter. There's a petition. Yeah, there's a, there is a petition. Okay. Um, and um, we're, we're doing a rolling blockade on July 11th uh, in the morning, around 10.30 or 11. Uh, Ganawag is doing one at 8.30 on the Mercier Bridge. And um, we, we want to remind people we're commemorating this day where nothing, nothing has changed in, in the land theft issue. And so help us. Right. And you said there's also a defense fund? There is. Is a defense fund. I have to check uh, how okay. people can contribute to, to that okay. because I'm not in charge of it. Okay. Um, and we, we hopefully will we'll get some movement on it. I know Kent Monkman donated some prints, so we have to do an online auction one day soon. Um, so a shout out to Kent Monkman. Um, okay. And uh, thank you so much, Pam. This is, I really enjoyed talking with you because I think we're on the same page, yes. the same, uh, you know, uh, I won't say level because you, you have a lot more knowledge than, than I do regarding, uh, you know, legal, legal uh, issues, but it's been such pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate this opportunity you've given me. A big thank you. Well, we'll all in for all your hard work and for never giving up because you inspire me and the rest of us. And I really appreciate it. And it helps educate other people at the same time. You know, instead of having to answer 10,000 emails about what's the issue and what can I do? Well, you know, here's a podcast. Why don't you listen to it? And then here's all the things that you can do at the end. So thank you. Um, 
hopefully we stay connected. And it's one of the ways during this pandemic that we can actually sit and talk <laughs> about these issues. Um, and thanks to everybody else for tuning into the Warrior Life podcast. And I hope that of all the things that we talked about, you'll find your own specific way with your own skills and abilities to support Ellen and the Haudenosaunee and the people of the Longhouse to protect their lands. And what I'll do is I'll post links to the resources that Ellen has referenced and any other material so that you can follow up right after this podcast and take some action. If you like this episode, please consider supporting this podcast by subscribing it, liking it, and sharing these episodes with the media, with students, with community members, with social justice activists, so we can help spread the word. You can access it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or just go to my website, www.pampometer.com, where you can access all the Warrior Life podcasts, all the YouTube videos, and my new Warrior Kids podcast, so that we get everybody started young doing social justice and earth justice and defending our native sovereignty. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I can't wait to hear about how you're all taking action to help support this issue. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walalan, Ellen. You're going here.